Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. This week, we have my friend Corey Bruins. He is here in San Diego. He lives in Ocean Beach, and this is his third time on the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. And so we talk a little bit about his story, a little recap on that. If you've not heard the previous episode or the first episode that he's actually done with us, we talk a little bit about that and then really just have a really good in-depth conversation about church and where we're at. And so this is the last conversation in the Institutional Exodus series. So today will be part one once again. Next week will be part two. And then in two weeks then, I will be posting my full-length talk that's basically been my thoughts, uh, some areas that I have changed in, some areas that I have grown. And so I really invite you to continue to listen through this episode and then tune in with me for that very last season finale, if you will, of the Institutional Exodus series. And then I'm really excited to share with you what's coming up next. So as always, we are on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Spiritual Nomad Podcast. Check in with us. I always love to hear thoughts and comments and things about the show. So and we got a few more things happening uh, that will be in the works. I'll be sharing that next week. So tune in for part two with it. So anyways, here's my friend Corey. It's not as much a interview as it is a conversation, you totally. know, because yeah, I love that. It's just like what we've been doing. So just dialogue is, is solid because I don't know. I think we need more of that. But anyway, so Corey, thank you for being back on the Spiritual Nomad podcast again. Uh, I think it's cool that you've actually you've been on this show now three times. So <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I, that's it's cool. We, I don't know, we talk well, and uh, I really appreciate you and, and everything you do in all sincerity, and um, I just think it's awesome. And so for this series, you know, we're doing the thing called Institutional Exodus and why so many people are leaving the church in droves. And uh, for you listeners, uh, I hope that this is going to be helpful for you guys. And Corey's somebody that uh, he's actually doing stuff. He's addressed a lot of things that I think... Um, many of us are addressing in our own hearts and minds and trying to work through what life looks like, uh, kind of where we're in the position that we're at right now. And uh, so I just invited Corey to come and to talk about uh, just some of the things that we're seeing in the institutional church uh, as it shifts uh, towards different models, but even more so than that, like some of our own stories. So uh, Corey's story was uh, in one of the early episodes. So if you'd like to go back uh, and listen to that episode about his personal story, I'd highly encourage that. But what I want to talk about now, Corey, is just really some of the ideas um, and reality about where we're at. And, um, you know, as I was sharing right before we got started, is that like there's just so much uh, decline. Like, I'm fascinated by how mm. fast. The church is just in decline. And, you know, as I was a pastor before and stuff, so I, I used to go to conferences and they would talk about this <laughs> stuff like it's like, like the ship is sinking, you know, and like, how are we going to plug the holes and keep this thing alive? And, and you know, it's huh. just, it was just, and back then it was, it was fear. It was terror. It was like everything mm. that you know is being pulled out from under you and you got to figure out how to convince people that this is still right and Slowly but surely, honestly, I just started to like check out because mm -hmm. a lot of the things that they were bringing up, especially in some of these like youth conferences and retreats and things, I was like, no, I get it. Like, 
I, I get where these people are coming from. Like, the things that you're saying are so bad. Like, I, I think I'm starting to see a more grand picture of that. Mm. And so, um, you know, I think it'd be cool um, just to talk, just recap a little bit. I know we talked about it more, but you were on staff at a church. You were on staff at uh, a, a, a decent-sized church, but I think more than anything, we'd define that as like an attractional church. Sure. And... Uh, so I guess let's start just a little bit with the why of your story. So why, and once again, we shared this mm. in an early episode, but I know we're going to have a lot of new listeners. Sure. Just a little bit of the why of your transition from a institutional, attractional church model and some of the things that were going on in your life that you felt like just weren't adding up with a lot of the values that, that you have. Yeah. So just a brief recap on that. I mean, my... Um, just kind of hit bullet points of the story. Like I didn't grow up in church. I think that's an important thing. I came into contact with like the institutional church as a freshman in high school, um, raised my hand at an altar call at a high school youth event at this church. Three years later, graduated high school a year early, came on staff at this church, not ever expecting to become any sort of pastor or uh, have any vocational ministry in life. I was not planning on doing that. Fell into it, loved it. Uh, during my time in ministry, eventually wound up as my, my title was the director of production and communications. And one of my primary roles was creating that weekend experience. And as a, a young guy, a young creative guy being given a, <laughs> a blank canvas with which to, to paint on that was, uh, so multimedium. And so, like, engaging and a weekly opportunity to see the fruits of my labor and our team's labor come to life and, and affect people and truly change people's lives, I think, um, was, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine my life without that experience. So I, I owe a lot, I think, to um, what, what happened during those years. And... And what happened was that um, me and my team at that church were responsible for one portion of a three-tiered vision that I think a lot of institutional churches have. We called ours No Grow Show. I think other churches use very similar words, if not the same ones. Right. Um, where the first portion, No, is like the mission is to get people to know who Jesus is. And the vehicle for that is the services on Sunday grow being in community and show being the service aspect, which uh, all of that is pulled from new Testament scripture and is good. Uh, I think maybe inherently good to do those things. And like I said, our team was responsible for the no portion. So the way we built that is that our weekend services were, uh, the primary win of a weekend service was to have a first-time guest come and have them come back the next week. That was exactly um, what ours was at our church, dude. <laughs> well, for those of us that uh, have followed Andy Stanley in his world for yeah, a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where we got that from. Um, no, no, no knock on Andy Stanley at all, but uh, that's that's you know where that came from, and we've, we followed a lot of the the North Point mantras and models. Um, and it makes sense, you know? I mean, it's... What's wrong with that? Like <laughs> getting somebody to come and experience like a, a taste, I guess, of Jesus and then wanting them to come back the next week, setting that as a goal, I, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, but at that time, I 
I had been funneled through this church experience coming into a youth group that had that exact same model, even though we didn't say that. Um, and then winding up, you know, on staff at this church and being given this opportunity to really create something new and engaging and exciting and, and use my gifts in all of that. Um, on top of the fact that this church was my family and my friends and my, uh, my whole life, you know, was centered around this place. So I didn't do a whole lot of big picture critical thinking right? because I was really engaged in my work. And that caught up with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think is the best way to talk about why I wound up leaving. And I love that. You know, I, the story of leaving that church really is uh, encapsulated in my final year on staff there. And I started to feel a misalignment, feel a rub with the way that things were going just in general. Um, and what's really funny is that things were going pretty well. <laughs> right. You know, it wasn't uh, there. Yeah, things were going pretty well. I mean, like most organizations, churches not excluded, we had gone through our fair share of shit and, you know, pastor layoffs and drama and all of that stuff during my time there. Um, a couple of those situations, which I was intimately involved in. And um, I wouldn't even attribute my, like, misalignment with the church to those right you know i, I was kind of able to see that as um this is just part of the natural process you know right. things are going to happen and we're going to have to deal with it um it was really more like a deep in my heart something isn't right here and uh, it wasn't until after i left that i was really able to begin putting the pieces together of of what that misalignment was yeah um because I didn't have a lot of counsel. Like I didn't have friends or, you know, my, my network of peers, people that I networked with outside of our church were all people who were in my position at other churches. Yeah. So we just spent a lot of time like encouraging one another, patting each other on the back and, uh, you know, lots of attaboys and sharing technical notes and things like that, <laughs> which right, that, right, was, right. that was great, you know, but that was like a very, um, even that was an insular group. Right. right. Where there wasn't Very. a lot of like, let's let's step back and look at the bigger picture and and see what our part in this ministry is doing. You know what yeah. we're achieving or not achieving and why that's important or not important in expressing our faith. Those weren't questions that I was being challenged to answer by anybody. Right. And I didn't wouldn't have even known where to look. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Right. How to, how to find someone to have those conversations with me. So uh, I had one one friend at that time who I was kind of starting to have these discussions with and um, we had a lot of really good talks about church history and the purpose of the church and in, in society and in enabling people to express their faith and coming together and um, eventually it was the the reason why I left is because my heart was not aligned with my work yeah and um that was it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the reason that's all i had yeah that's yeah. all i had and you know i <laughs> but i there's not even not even that's wrong or bad i think that that's fine because i think passion yeah plays a key portion in anything that you do and mm. something that you mentioned that i really wanted to uh 
to talk about for a minute is you mentioned critical thinking. Mm. And I think that is a crucial thing whenever mm. we're talking about this idea of the institutional church. I think, in my opinion, the people that I have, the conversations that I have with you, and the reason I want you on the podcast is because we yeah. have really good conversations because I think we share this, and people that I share this mm. with as well, people have critical thinking. Mm. They look at things from a broader perspective. They're not looking for the simple short answer, the tweetable quote. They're really looking to have a, a long form of dialogue about unpacking mm. and understanding the grandness of, of God, of people, of culture, of all of these things. And I, the theme that I see is critical thinking. So I'm trying to figure out, because I, I still think the institutional mm. church, and, and I, you know, uh, if you're listening to this, you would have already listened to the first episode of me kind of defining and laying some boundaries for what I mean by some of these terms. Mm. But just to reiterate, institutional church, meaning like an organizational type of thing that is focused on the mission statement uh, more so above all else, which can be okay. Uh, I think, you know, just like, you know, a sword is okay as long as it's wielded in the right way. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think it's fine. Mm. Um, so I don't want to necessarily take shots at that as much, but I see a theme whenever I look at attractional, institutional, organizational church, and it seems to me that the people that are jumping ship are the people who are becoming more, we're an obese, I'll use the word, enlightened. They're they're becoming more aware. They're they're critical thinking. Their their access to information and technology via the internet, podcasts, things of that nature, that's making them question and see things in new and different ways. So, I'm what I'm trying to figure out is because with church, when you come, it's about typically it's at least my context. It's an hour long experience. And we have everything down. We have somebody behind stage with a stopwatch, and we have meetings afterwards to figure out where can we shave 20 seconds here. And <laughs> it, I mean, it's very yeah. production oriented. Yeah. And with that, it's really just like the purpose of this series. We can't cover a topic in an hour long episode. How are we supposed to cover? I mean, if you're talking about just actual talk time, the, we do a topic on what we were talking about earlier about marriage and relationships, a four week series on that. With only 30-minute talks, that's only two hours on a whole mare. I don't know. It just it seems to me that just short, quick, simple, just to the point things is what that's after. And the people mm. that are departing are the people that are wanting to have that. Have you seen that sort of correlation as well? Yeah. With the people that you're hanging out with? Yeah. I mean, I would say that to to maybe describe what you're talking about in the the biggest terms possible i think that generally speaking the institutional and i don't want to make anybody um mad here it's a big generalization but i think just generally speaking the institutional church creates boxes that are too small for god mm, yeah and um and this kind of goes down a really long theological discussion of like why people do what they do but to me looking at the nuts and bolts of what an institutional church is it's a group of people who have come together and collectively decided to operate in a certain way um and man why, if we're using that term i guess i'm down with it you know <laughs> right and why why they operate how they operate i mean that's that's an interesting thing to figure out you know right and we can look at his th this is the study of history Yes. This is going back and watching people and and sociology and anthropology, like I love watching all this stuff. Pe watching people come together and figuring out how they organize and why they're doing what they're doing. Yes, and I I mean, 
if there's a listener who is in the institutional church, or I have these conversations with people in that space a lot, um, I would just encourage you, if anything that either of us say rubs you the wrong way, just ask yourself for a second why it's doing that and try not to um, just be angry. <laughs> right. Because I think there's the tendency to be angry. I was in that space. I mean, I can remember conversations with people while I was in ministry, in vocational ministry, where people would say things that made a lot of sense. And in the back of my mind and heart, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. But outwardly to them, I'm just defending, you know, like, I wish I, I had the, the why uh, yeah. I just spent $50,000 on lights, you know? Right. Um, I wish so, I had the ability, by the way, to be able to rationalize that they are saying something good. Mm. I would just defend things and be pissed. And right. then now, like three years later, I'm like, I need to call that guy. Apologize. Because he was right. Yeah. He was right. You know? And whether or not they were right, they were they were bringing up a good question. Yes. Which I think is what I uh, kind of describes that box thing, you know, is it's like, uh, that, that's why I say that I think that generally speaking, the institutional church and maybe even organizations in general sometimes build boxes that are too small for like what their potential is. Right. You've got a group of people who you're claiming are inspired by the God of the universe, who we know to be not understandable with the human brain. And we take our human brains and build human brain built boxes to fit the entire expression of our faith in. Yep. And I mean, to really come down to the nuts and bolts of why people are leaving the church, I think that the enlightened people are people that maybe don't have words for this, but are recognizing or feeling and experiencing that they're limited. Yeah. That the context in which they they express their faith is limited and is limiting them. Yes. And ultimately is limiting what God can do in them. Yes. And it's scary to tell someone that. Yeah. You know, because it's like, when you when that's all you know when what is given to you is this set of things like this is your church and you your life is built around this and what they offer um like they they have more to bring to the table than handing out a bulletin right but and that's not necessary but that that is good right but exactly I think and we, that's that's what's hard is it's hard to differentiate and say okay well if you are saying that the institutional church is limiting people, are you also saying that everything the institutional church is doing is bad? No. And the answer is no. Right. Absolutely. Maybe it's just a different way of organizing the pieces. Right. And I would say that the, the common denominator here is what is motivating people to organize in a certain way. And I would say that the two biggest things, and this is true... Uh, in so many spaces and organizations, the two biggest things that I see motivating the institutional church to operate how they operate and to build boxes that I say are too small for God are fear and control. Yes. Yeah. I Most things in life, when you see that they are limiting or are too small for God or, or are not aligning, come down to fear and control. Um, and they go hand in hand. Fear and control go hand in hand. And when I... When I left the the church that I was on staff at that next year, I went back to that church two times. I think I might have shared this when I shared my story. Um, and and by going back to that church, I mean like went to a service on a Sunday. Uh, right, right. The church as the people, a huge number of those people still today are fantastic friends of mine and totally. people that I continue to do life with. So in that way, <laughs> I think a lot of that church still exists in my life. Right. Um, but I went back to that, the physical building two times for a service and I sat in the upper left corner of the balcony and instead of watching the stage, I was watching the people. And my reflection was, 
Um, we were a relatively small church, about 500 people on a Sunday between two services. Um, and, at, you know, as a pastor, you know, like you get to know most people's stories, at least their general story. Sure. Uh, sitting there looking at these people just going, man, these, for be- lack of better term, and I don't want to make it sound like a cult because it wasn't, but these people are drinking the Kool-Aid, yeah. right? They yeah. they grew up in a culture where it's like what you do if you believe in God is you go to a church. Right. And they're expecting the people leading the church to tell them how to engage their faith. Yeah. And what they're being told is a whole lot of bullshit. Right. <laughs> and expound on that too. If you I can. mean just one one thing in that space that really rubbed me the wrong way. We this is an Andy Stanleyism as well. Invest and invite. Right? So the whole concept of that is like if you have friends in your life who you think need to know Jesus, which I mean, theologically, that whole side of it too is just a yeah. That that's black that's hole. an upcoming series. <laughs> <laughs> that is a black hole. Um, but s- s- take that for what it is. Sure. That there are people in your life who need to know Jesus, and in that time, that makes sense. That language makes sense. You know, I don't even think Christian culture at large was dealing with the realities of maybe the problems with that way of thinking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, from the stage, if someone said that, you know, like your friends need to know Jesus, everybody's like, yeah, you know, my friends need to know Jesus, you know, like. And you're convicted if they Jesus, don't. Jesus you know? is coming and they're probably going to hell if they don't come to church and raise their uh, hand. Uh, do? Oh, or are they? Um, <laughs> anyway, say they are, you know, that the, the method of saving them is invest in a friendship with them and then invite them to church. Multi-level marketing. Because you are not capable of sharing the gospel with them yourself. Or we know as a church that in that space, I mean, you're in, in that world, you're either on the side of the people who are willing to go like street evangelize and walk around with an evangicube and like tell people <laughs> that they're going to hell and get them to cross the bridge and accept Jesus into their heart, which I mean is... You're either in that camp where you're so gung-ho about believing that this is the way that you're doing that, or you're just scared shitless yep. to share the gospel with people. Yep. And everybody in this that world knows that. Yeah. So what do we do? We respond to that fear and we go, okay, well, as leaders of these people, let's not press into this fear. Let's respond to the fear. What's what's the the easiest path to make it so that we're still sharing the gospel with people? Well, let's make it really impersonal because that's not scary at all. So we'll tell people to go make friends with people, which is easy for them to do, and then invite them to this really cool rock show, which is pretty easy to do, and we'll sneak the gospel message in there, which is really easy to do because there's no fear. Because it's just a person on the stage, and you've got people in the seats, and the gospel sharing experience is this corporate one where you make it really easy for people. Don't worry, you guys. Every eye in this room is shut. Right. Every head is bowed. Right, right, right. Where did we get off on thinking that this is how God <laughs> wanted us to come into relationship with him? It makes no sense. Oh, I mean, and I, no. I raised my hand in that situation to come to know Jesus. And that's like been one of the harder spots of reconciliation in my life is like, man, I was, I would say a victim of that. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because I had to unpack that the reality of my relationship with God is that it probably didn't start when I raised my hand. Yeah. You know, that it's bigger and that maybe I don't know when it started. Right. And that that's okay, you know? But so we create, we respond to this fear and we go, all right, we're going to create this invest and invite platform. We're going to make it super easy for people. And what is ultimately, what is driving this? Well, what's driving this is that 
I, I would say it's kind of twofold that we have a fear that if we are not saving people that um, that they won't know God, right? That if we're not doing that work, that there are people out there, friends of people out there that won't know God. And that if we don't, if we don't have a system set up by which to account for our efforts in salvation and see whether they're doing good or not, that we, we won't know how to do better at that. So right. we have to set a system up and we need to go, all right, we need metrics. We need to know if the things that we're doing are saving people. Yes. Because our goal as a church is to save people. Right. And what's also interesting, and there, I don't know that we need to play into this too much, but what's also interesting about that is that the ulterior goal is to build the church, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I think that I think that the motivation to save people and have people come to know God is not a bad one. Right. That's fine. Once again, it's it's the it's the why, the what, it's the, the why. How. It's the why. Right. right exactly. And, and how that plays out. With, if you start with that, that's good. But then if you execute it out of a posture of fear yeah. and control, that's bad. Right. And it. I don't think these people are realizing that it's it's fear and control though. Oh, I mean, I can tell you that they don't. I know. I, I, I know for a fact they don't because yeah. the thing is we – it becomes easy. Like you said, it becomes measurable. It becomes a, right. a quick thing. And I think that um, because they just have – they hold on to that why, it becomes easy. And this is the other thing that I want to ask you about too or, or talk about rather bring up is with that, what we're, what we're ultimately saying is the goal becomes get people from A to B. Right, right. Here's the drive. We need people. They're here. We need people there. How do we get people here to there? And I think where I've been coming to, and once again, I'm really looking forward to some future seasons of of this to talk about some of the theology and and practice of this stuff. But I'm really thinking more so than ever, what about just where people are and what if there is no agenda to get them a to b but rather say where you are is and we're here together and and let's explore some of the the depth details of right here right now the humanity of it and the divine engagement with it yeah and it's like i'm not trying to get them to anywhere. I'm not trying to say you're living wrong. We need to get you living right. I'm not trying to say you believe this and I really need you to believe that. You're you're not giving this and I need you to give that. It's not any of that. It's saying like the humanity. I think of just the, the reality of Jesus being with people. Like, but the problem is with that, and here's the rub is that, but we can't build a business around that. No, we can't. And that's the hard part. Yeah. For for the you, reality, you can't you know. build anything controllable around it. Right. You can't build anything predictable around it. And when you get to when you really break down the basics of what it, the institutional church is, is it's a group of usually old white men in <laughs> making decisions about a building and a budget. Yeah. And those, that's it. You know, and then we get people who come around and agree, yeah, this is the church and this is how we do it. Yeah. We put a group of people in charge. They get to to control the building and the budget. But everybody else is like, that's the whole church. Like, 
No. Right. Actually, they're just in charge of a building and a budget. That's yeah. all they're in charge of, and it's just a business. And if you don't, like you said, that's the problem, is that when we, when we start with the, maybe the purest of intentions in wanting to share the God that we know um, and wanting to come up with the best, most relevant way to share that, but you also pair it with, well, this month we have $300,000 in bills to pay to continue running this organization. When you put those two together, it doesn't work. Right. Because God is going to be perverted in the process. Mm. It's impossible for him to not be. Yeah. It's impossible. You, you just can't. And and I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that at a certain level, organizing is important. Yes, and, and that, yeah, that's I want to push into that a little more. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that it's important, and I mean we're we being our you know kind of rogue crew of folks who follow Jesus here in Ocean Beach are have been asking that question you know in the past couple of years, and the folks that we're rolling with who are helping kind of um, equip and educate on maybe alternate faith expressions we're, we're all asking those questions yeah you know of what does it look like you know and i i mean i think it's so interesting just talking to some of the folks in um from my old church periodically when i run into them the same story happens where are you going to church oh i have some folks in ob and we have kind of you know some community stuff going on da, 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 da. well do you guys have elders <laughs> Where do you have any oversight and authority? Do you who interprets the Bible and tells you how to live? Mm. All right, thank you for tuning in to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. Part two will be next week. Once again, social media at Spiritual Nomad Podcast, Instagram, Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and have a great week. <laughs>